Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sunup. The Daily Sunup podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com slash ethics. It's Thursday, February 1st. Today, Michael Booth and John Ingold discuss surprising hospital profits and losses in Colorado and a revolution in naming birds that's part of a cultural zeitgeist. Before we begin, the Colorado Sun invites you to meet the politics team at an unaffiliated networking event held at the Denver Press Club. The event is sponsored by Aponte and Busam Public Affairs Consultants. There will be a cash bar, it's free to join, and you'll have time to chat with staff and readers. Join us on February 29th and RSVP today by visiting coloradosun.com events. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1807, Lieutenant Zebulon Pike's exhausted expedition began building a stockade on the Conejos River. Facing wintry conditions and near mutiny, they sought refuge and recuperation. While exploring the Louisiana Purchase, Pike aimed to locate the Red River, which marked the U.S.-Spanish border. His group traversed the Arkansas River and wandered into Ute territory, who alerted Spanish allies in Santa Fe. Less than a month into construction, Spanish forces arrived and arrested them. Pike, realizing his geographic error, surrendered. Treated as refugees rather than enemies, they were interrogated and cared for, eventually returning to the U.S. via Texas by July. The true Red River source remained undiscovered until the 1840s, long after its diplomatic significance faded. Before we continue, a special thank you to all our Colorado Sun members listening. It's thanks to you that The Sun continues to bring trustworthy, independent journalism to readers and listeners across our state. If you're not yet a member and want to join us, visit coloradosun.com slash join to sign up. While you're there, check out our member e-newsletters like Colorado Sunday, The Temperature, and more. Together, we'll keep Colorado informed in 2024. Next, our feature story. Thanks for joining us today on the Colorado Sun podcast. Today is Thursday, and so we are talking about temperature newsletter and climate and health and where they intersect. So as usual, I've got John Ingle with me, our great health reporter. We're going to talk about some bird names. We're going to talk about some hospital profits. Encourage you to sign up for the temperature newsletter if you haven't already. I would encourage you to go to coloradosun.com to get uh, this time of year. You'd want to see all of our great political coverage. We have great political team at the Capitol and around the state working on all kinds of stuff. We're involved in the legislature and other political issues. So please go there and welcome John Ingold. How are you doing, John? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Doing well. Your piece this week in the temperature and later on coloradosun.com is about hospital profits. Lags a little bit, but the numbers we just got are from 2022 and they're definitely different from the year before. What's going on with hospital profits? Yeah, so this is something we always watch pretty closely. It's something that gets a lot of attention at the legislature. And often Colorado hospitals, at least the the large major health systems, tend to do pretty well in terms of profitability. And so that becomes an issue at the legislature or a topic of conversation at the legislature because lawmakers are saying, well, hey, wait a minute, if you're making this much money, how come your prices are so high? How come you're not providing more community assistance? So it becomes notable when you have a year when hospitals have an argument that kind of counteracts that, which is to say that their profits are down. And that's what happened in 2022. Um, There's a new report out from a healthcare analyst. He's based in Minnesota named Alan Baumgarten. 
He's been doing these reports on uh, the healthcare business uh, in Colorado, both on on hospitals and on health insurers. He's been doing these since 1994. So he has a, a long period of, of history of working on analyses of the Colorado healthcare market. And he does some on Minnesota and other states as well. So what he found um, using data that was reported to the federal government by the hospitals is he found that hospitals in the Denver metro area saw a little bit more than $600 million collectively in pre-tax profits for 2022. Now that's a lot of money, um, but it comes out to about a 4.4% profit margin when you take it as a percentage of their total revenue. And that's actually down quite a bit from previous years. In 2020, that number was 1.4 billion. And in uh, 2021, that number was 2.3 billion. So it's a 17.4% pre-tax margin. And I keep saying pre-tax, most of the hospitals that are in big systems, especially in the Denver metro area, are nonprofit, but hospitals uh, that are owned and operated by Health One or uh, HCA are uh, their for-profit. So they would have to pay taxes out of their profits. The other hospitals that are nonprofit, uh, they can obviously make a profit in a year, but uh, they don't have to pay taxes. So that was a pretty significant shift to see that kind of uh, drop in profits um, for 2022. And there were some pretty big health systems that uh, actually lost money, uh, including UC Health overall in, uh, in the Denver metro area. When you look at major hospitals outside the metro area, they collectively lost money in 2022. They posted about a $17 million shortfall um, which is uh, just about a, a minus 0.2% margin. So UC Health, you focused on them before. Their losses that you were talking about were not necessarily from patient care. Um, what do they, it's investments that went bad for them. What do they do? It's short GameStop or what do they, what do they do with them a lot of uh, investment losses? Well, it, it's hard to remember back even just a couple of years given, um, you know, how dense time seems to be these days. But 2022 had a really bad stock market. And uh, a lot of people lost money on their investments in 2022. And, and UC Health was uh, no exception. Uh, Baumgarten told me that this is actually the first time he can remember seeing UC Health having a, a down year. Now, that was sort of off the top of his head. So I don't, I don't know that that's like a fully fact-checked uh, recollection on his part. But it is really uncommon to see UC Health have a bad year. And one of those reasons is because they usually do, as you mentioned, they do well on patient care. And they, again, um, in 2022, they made a profit on their patient care. Uh, not a ton, but but a little bit. And then they also have really, really big uh, investment portfolios that tend to generate a lot of revenue as well. So uh, those combined usually make them pretty profitable. So it was significant to note that uh, they were down in 2022 and um, it doesn't seem like this was, was a, uh, it seems like this was maybe a one year thing. It doesn't seem like this was a lasting trend for them. Okay. Uh, we, we've reported on some, uh, financial filings that they have to make as a result of, uh, municipal bonds and, uh, their 2023 numbers, uh, definitely look a lot better. They're back to pretty strong profitability and they're back to, to gains in their investment income. Okay. But, uh, Definitely, you know, something that you end up hearing coming up when we talk about uh, hospital pricing and profitability at the legislature is pointing out um, these uh, 
the, these losses or these downturns that that hit in 2022. You're going to have another system if they talk to the legislature that would not be able to hide behind those kinds of losses. You've got another major system, Health One, that did quite well for itself. Uh, must be doing a lot of knee surgeries and heart surgeries. Health One, home to Swedish and Sky Ridge and Medical Center of Aurora and some of the other giant hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. So Health One uh, in 2022 had uh, on their own $668 million in profits for their Denver metro area hospitals, which I, I think is pretty much all of them. Uh, that's a 23.7% margin uh, on uh, total revenue. And that's huge, right? But that's not necessarily unprecedented for them. They usually have higher profits and higher margins. And it, it ends up being because they have to then pay taxes out of that. So after they pay their taxes, their effective margin is going to be less than that. So that that's always kind of the, the one thing to note with them. They're a bit of an interesting beast because, again, being the major for-profit system that exists here in Colorado, um, sometimes you would you would want to look at them and think like, oh, are, are, you know, are they the people we need to give close scrutiny to in terms of their business practices? But I've actually heard state officials before talk about them in complementary terms. They'll say like, hey, they actually operate really efficiently because they have this uh, accountability and this duty to their investors. And so they provide medical care in uh, a way that is much more cost efficient than what some of their competitors do. It, it is worth noting, we're talking about the big systems here. It is worth noting that when you start getting down the chain to smaller hospitals, uh, you know, sort of single hospital systems, uh, hospitals in rural areas, and then even the ones that that Baumgarten doesn't track, some of the really small ones out in rural Colorado, the, the financial picture is a lot different. And they have been struggling for a while. Uh, 2022, in addition to being a tough year for the stock market, was a, a tough year for hospitals in terms of staffing costs. They were really getting hit with the need to pay their staff more. They were getting hit on uh, supply costs. And so those would apply to um, these small rural hospitals, which don't have big investment portfolios that they can draw on in good times. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're going to have seen the rebound with them that you will have seen with some of the bigger metro area systems. So always worth noting when talking about hospitals that we're talking about uh, a, a variety of, of different businesses here with uh, their own different economic circumstances. Yeah, almost a whole different line of business. So, Mike, let, let's turn to you. Um, something that is maybe not completely different, but quite a bit different than what I wrote about. Uh, we're going to talk about bird names here and sort of a, a reckoning that's coming with um, all the names that uh, we've given to our feathered friends. There are up to 80 bird names in North America, common birds, many of those common to Colorado, commonly seen here, that are up for name change. And it's for the same reasons many of the same reasons that we've been watching the geographic names unfold and change in Colorado, because many places are named after people whose lives uh, were complicated and not as clean as people once thought and um, had some abhorrent activities or affiliations uh, aligned with their names. And so people don't want things named after them. Or uh, they're simply racist or have racist connotations like Chinaman Gulch or the other names in Colorado that we wouldn't even want to mention on air anymore because people understand that they're very offensive to a lot of people. And so those names are getting changed in the on the mountains and the U.S. Geological Survey is going along with Colorado's desires to do that. 
And now the birders and American Ornithological Society are looking at these 80 bird names and saying maybe it's time for change there too. And they're going to spend 2024 going through these names pretty systematically and trying to figure out what there is appetite for to change. And I think most of them will change. There seems to be a welcoming of diversity and inclusion that this sense of renaming brings. And so it's going to happen. Uh, Some of them have already happened. Sometimes they happen for reasons such as uh, they were named after a Confederate general who also happened to be a great naturalist and named a bunch of birds after himself or somebody else did in his honor. And then the Confederate history and Civil War history become problematic. Um, Audubon was himself a slaveholder. And uh, some people claim he had white supremacist tendencies and um, talked about that. And so the very founder of a lot of birding in America and the artist who created these birds that are so iconic um, as drawings and paintings is now getting birds that were named after him changed to something else. Um, sometimes it's not as clear cut as that. Sometimes it's just that it's almost a silly mistake or a silly science reason. One of the birds that mentioned, we have University of Cincinnati expert Lucinda Lawson, who was talking about why this is going on. She supports a lot of it. Um, because you got a name like there is a dove that people in Colorado have seen. It tends to be farther in New Mexico and Arizona, but does come up through Colorado, feeds on the ground, called the Aztec dove. And the person who claims to have discovered it got their geography mixed up. So the, I'm sorry, it was called the Inca dove. <laughs> I'm getting mixed up myself. Uh, the Inca, Inca society was, of course, uh, when you realize this, is South America. And this bird was first seen by Westerners in the area that is now Mexico that was the Aztec territory. So it's called the Inca dove now, will be changed to um, the Aztec dove. And that's just one of those things where experts say, not only is it sort of correcting a mistake, but it just makes more scientific sense. You don't need to name birds after people. It doesn't give you anything. It doesn't give you a description, a scientific sense of kind of helping that a, a good name can do. Um, Lucinda mentioned Blue Jay. You hear Blue Jay, you know something about the bird immediately. It makes sense and it gives you a little bit of science with it. So that's going to be going on in this movement for the next year and the birding community will be involved. So uh, I might be exhibiting a bit of a bias here, but the the birding community at large is always sort of as an outsider sort of seemed to me as maybe a a really uh, community that's sort of reverent of tradition and um, you know, birders who who maintain long, long lists of, of species they've seen. Is there is there widespread support within the birding community for this, or, or how is that generally being received? There's definitely some pushback. And yes, birding for a long time had kind of this image of the waspy, uh, somebody with binoculars handed down from three generations and uh, passing it along as a hobby and a great way to get outdoors. But it's been changing quite a bit, and there are so many birders now. And there really has been an effort since an incident that happened in 2020 that hit the national news in Central Park that has been another spur for this idea of inclusivity and diversifying uh, the people who are birding and who are recognized as being birders. So a black man was birding in Central Park, and he was in kind of an area called the Rambles. It's kind of a mixture of some brush and a little bit off trail. And he was, a dog was chasing after him and getting in his face and chasing away the birds. He asked the white woman who was 
walking the dog to put the dog on leash. And she um, he pulled out his cell phone, started filming her reaction because she kind of went crazy. And she started, to, she herself called 911 and said, there's a black man threatening me here. Um, I want help. And he was just trying to kind of get word out that, yes, the birding community that you thought is a little more diverse and I have a right to be as much right to be here as everybody else. And she got in quite a bit of societal trouble and some personal trouble for this tirade. And that became a spur from the people who supported this guy and the idea of inclusivity to, hey, what else can we do? What other things are out there that we could easily change? Um, definitely some pushback as there has been for Mount Evans in Colorado, changing it to Mount Blue Sky. Family members of Governor uh, the territorial Governor Evans had pushed back and said, why, why are we erasing history this way? There's been movements against taking down Confederate stat soldier statues. And you, you, we've heard all this before. Um, so far, the change folks are winning and are saying, uh, we understand that people can be upset, but we overall think this is a great thing to do for birding and for science. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great point you make that uh, the enjoyment of birds is something for all of us. And when birds have names of specific people, it maybe sends a message about, you know, who those birds are, are you know, sort of meant to be understood and enjoyed by. And that's not the way we want to, uh, to, to exist in society. So it'll be interesting to follow. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think, I don't think there's any stop on this. All right. Well, Mike, hey, appreciate it. And uh, to all the listeners, we appreciate you as well. And um, again, you know, check out our newsletter, The Temperature, which comes out every Wednesday and has a lot more climate and health and environment news in it every week. And if you're not a member of The Sun yet, uh, we'd love to have your support. You can go to coloradosun.com slash join to sign up. And otherwise, uh, Mike and I will see you back here next week. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Seizures of illegal fentanyl continued to rise across the country, and last year in Colorado, investigators seized nearly 940 pounds of fentanyl, or about 2.6 million pills. According to the Drug Enforcement Agency, 3.4 million fentanyl pills were seized across Colorado, Utah, Montana, and Wyoming in 2023. That marks a 79% increase across the region from 2022. The amount seized across the four-state region last year was more than a 500% increase from amounts confiscated in 2021. Last year, 948 people in Colorado died from a fentanyl overdose. Commercial vehicles, including semi-trailers, would be prohibited from the left lane on Interstate 70 between Morrison and Glenwood Springs under a bill being debated in the legislature. It is aimed at stopping wrecks along the heavily traveled high country route. The measure would also require commercial vehicles to carry chains on Interstate 25 and any state or U.S. highway located west of I-25 from September through May. The trucking industry is pushing back, saying it would stress their 11-hour driving limits as well as the cost of outfitting thousands of trucks with chains. Grand Junction Mayor Anna Stout is dropping out of the 3rd Congressional District race. The move clears the field for former Aspen City Councilman Adam Frisch to get another shot at winning the seat in November. Stout was Frisch's only Democratic opponent in the race, which was upended in December when incumbent Lauren Boebert announced she was switching districts. In 2022, she beat Frisch by just over 500 votes. The third district leans nine percentage points in Republicans' favor, and it hasn't sent a Democrat to Congress since 2008. Currently, there are four candidates running in the GOP primary. 
For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now, a quick message from our team. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. My name is Jason Blevins. I'm the outdoors writer here at the Colorado Sun, co-founder of the Colorado Sun. Um, I'm on the uh, weekly podcast with David Krause every Monday. And I also write a weekly newsletter. comes out every Thursday. It's called The Outsider. Um, take a look at uh, each issue has sort of early glimpses of stories. I got stuff on housing, high country business, high country culture, public lands, uh, public land managers, kind of just about anything kind of interesting and happening on the Western Slope. Try to get into it. Ski industry stuff. Um, I invite you to come check it out. It's one of the many newsletters we have at the Colorado Sun. Um, head to coloradosun.com slash join and become a member and support the Colorado Sun. Appreciate you guys listening. Thanks.